Let's continue our series on Once Upon a Marriage this morning. How many of you struggled with getting here this morning, right? Life doesn't always go as planned, and it seems like Sunday morning is the morning that it's the worst. Your your spouse is, burns the toast or whatever, all this different stuff goes on, and so life doesn't go as planned. And so probably maybe it happened for you today, maybe it happened for you this week, that you had a week and it just didn't go as planned. And so you're thinking about all the things that messed up and didn't go according to your calendar or your schedule or your way. Or maybe this month, maybe you ran out of month before you ran out of money before you ran out of month, and so life isn't going as planned. Your car broke down or whatever might have happened. And life sometimes just doesn't work out like we hoped and like we planned. And as you get a little bit older, you understand that. I don't know if we get any more patient with it, but it just is what it is. And so you may have learned it. Hey, six, six weeks, report cards just came out. So some of your kids and grandkids, life didn't go as planned, right? They didn't get those things. And so things are different. And uh, maybe they're getting to think about it for a little bit about how life could be planned a little bit better next time. And uh, or maybe you're you're at that some of the younger ones are thinking about, hey, I like this boy or this girl, and it doesn't quite work out like you had hoped that it would plan and go, and so those kind of things. Or maybe you didn't get into the college that you thought that you should have gotten into, and um, you applied there, and they said, <laughs> there's another place you can go to. You know what I mean? It's just those kind of things that happen to you. And uh, or maybe you graduated from college, or you started out, and you had a job, and you're like, man, I'm going to make two hundred and thirty-five dollars an hour. And you ended up making $2.35 an hour, right? And so, you know, it just kind of goes that way. And so relationships are that way as well. We can't always make them work out like we think. And so things just happen. Life doesn't go as planned. And when life doesn't go as planned, what is our response to that? How do we in particular, as followers of Jesus, what is our response to life when it doesn't go as planned? Because people are watching us and, and taking in of what is this Jesus following thing do and how does it improve? How does it change my life? How does it, in the midst of the craziness and the things that fail in life, how do they respond differently and how do they take it in? And so those options for us. Well, this morning I want us to look at the life of Abram and Sarai. And Abram and Sarai, they were two that life didn't quite go as planned. And so we want to look at their story and see some things that maybe we can learn about us, ourselves, and even our relationships. And so if you've grown up in and around church and you probably heard the song, Father Abraham, right? And so you know that. And so even in your head already, you're already doing all the motions, right? Father Abraham, we'll, we'll save that for later. Uh, we'll dance out here in the foyer a little bit later, okay? Father Abraham. And so there's a story to that, to getting to Father Abraham. And to getting him to being Father Abraham, there's a long, windy journey of life not going as planned to get there. And so let's dig in to that story before we get to the song. If you have your Bibles, we'll be looking at Genesis chapter 12, verses starting in verse 11, and then going all the way through 18, uh, chapter 18. So we'll be kind of bouncing around in there. The story of Abram is this, is that he was a young man of 75 years of age, living at his dad's house. That's an ultimate failure to launch, right? And so Abram is 75 years of age. He's living at his dad's house. He's married no kids, he's got some animals, so he's an FFA, and uh, just hasn't gotten out of this whole thing. And so at 75 years of age, living in his dad's house in the land of Ur, of the Chaldeans, God shows up, the covenant God of Yahweh shows up to Abram in the midst of the polytheistic realm in which he worshipped. The Yahweh covenant God shows up to Abram and says, you, failure to launch guy without kids, 
I am calling you out from Ur to take you to the land of Canaan, the promised land, and I will give you a great name, and I will give you many sons and many children, and they will be kings and queens and all of that, and you will count your children as you count the sand, which means there's going to be a lot of kids. And he's thinking to himself, I imagine at 75 years of age, I'm like, dude, that ship has sailed, right? But it tells us in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, that he believed God, and therefore he got up on his donkey and took his wife, and they went to, in the process of the journey of going to the promised land, the land of Canaan. And he finally got there, and as he got there, it tells us in some of those verses a little bit later that he actually pitched a tent, which means he took up residence in the land of Canaan, and he kind of did some surveying and looked it out and said, hey, this is going to be a great place to live. But in the meantime, famine came to the land. And when famine came to the land, that means there wasn't a whole lot of food. So he uprooted his tent and he and his wife, Sarai, went to Egypt. And Egypt was always known for having during times of famine and stuff like that. They always had food. It was a rich land. And so Abram and Sarai headed down to the rich land of Egypt to have a place to eat and place to hang out. And along the way, as they're about to enter into Egypt, it hits Abram that, hey, look, I got some money. I have a little bit of wealth. And I know that we're like 75 years old, but my wife is still a looker. Okay? And so she looks so good that Pharaoh might even want her to be his wife. Now, that's an interesting thing. Like, I mean, when when we're going from like here to Nekonitz, that never crosses our mind, right? That someone's going to go, hey, wait, I, you know. And so here they are, they're on this journey, and he looks at his wife and says to her, hey, I want you to know. And so what he's saying is the culture of the day is that as someone enters in, as someone of his wealth, he would have had a caravan with him. And so as he's entering in, people of other wealth and of leadership are looking and saying, who is this guy? What does he want? Why is he coming to this place? And so it was not untypical or atypical for the leader of that clan to be killed so that all of the wealth, including the wives, would become a part of the Pharaoh's household. And so Abram has this fear as he's getting closer to Egypt that, hey, I'm going here to provide for my family. I may not even make it out of this place alive, okay? So that's his thoughts as we get to Genesis chapter 12, verses 11 through 13. Here it is. When he, Abram, was about to enter into Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, look, I know what a beautiful woman you are. Now, that sounds pretty good. I mean, like, you know, hey, at 75 years old, you're driving along the highway, I-35, you're going wherever you're going, and you look at your 75-year-old wife, and you're 75, and you're like, girl, you still got it going on. That's a pretty romantic relationship. I mean, it's, you know, you've been journeying down the road together, and you're like, girl, you got it. You still do it for me. So that's what he's saying to her. And other people look at you and go, whoo, that's good. And so, look, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians, Egyptians see you, they will say this is his wife. So here we begin to see this fear, this very rational fear begin to rise up. They will kill me but let you live. And so he's, again, this fear is rising. Verse 13, so please say... You're my sister. All right, not not normal conversation. Please say you're my sister so it will go well for me. Not worried about you, I'm worried about me because of you. For my life will be spared on your account. Now again, one of the little nuances to the story is actually we find out a little bit later on that Abram and Sarai are actually uh, brother and sister couple were moved, like half-brothers and sisters. So he wasn't telling a lie, but it's kind of a uniqueness to the relationship. 
But his whole purpose is that he's trying to save his life. Fear rises up. And so the first thing that I want you to grasp this morning is we, when life does not go as planned, we cannot live in fear. That we're called to something and God calls us to a place and we can't live in fear. It, it, it may be very rational, it may be very true, it may be an option, but God had given him a promise and this was a promise, so God's going to sustain it. So what he's saying is God's going to take my life and not fulfill the promise that he'd given me. So the first thing that for us when life doesn't go as planned in our relationships in life is we cannot live in fear. His fear was based upon his assumptions and the perceptions of the culture because they, they could have killed him and taken his wife, Sarai, because of her beauty, because of her wealth. It would all of a sudden become her wealth, a political alliance. There could have been two kingdoms coming together. They could have killed him legally for him to take Sarai, for the Pharaoh to take Sarai as his wife. He had to kill um, Abram for it to be a legal certification, and so he could a legal requirement to bring in his wife. So all of these things are in his mind, and he forgets the promise that God has for him. So this fear is what if, the question of what if. So let's think through history for just a second. I mean, you remember there used to be a day where we thought, maybe some still people do, but there's the earth is flat. Right, So if the earth is flat and you believe that, when you get in a boat, you're only going to go so far. Why? Because you're afraid of falling off the end. And then somewhere along the way, these crazy guys called Vikings or whatever got in a boat and they said, hey, we're just going to keep going until we fall off. And then they found out that, hey, they never fell off. They actually found land. And so they removed the what if. The same is true for us is there's times in life where we see something and we think, hey, I don't know what is out here before me, and I'm just going to go so far. I'm not going to go all the way to the end because I might fall off. I might go to places that I don't know what's going to happen to us. And that's the place where we move from just kind of knowing things to this place of faith is that, you know, we, we don't know what's out here, but if God's called us to go, let's go. And that the promise is he's going to protect us and take care of us, even if... We don't know what's out there. How many of you have ever done some skydiving? Nobody. We had a couple of people. We had a couple of people in the first service. And uh, you know what? Most of you are having skydived. You know why? Because you've answered this what if question with what if I plummet to the ground and my stuff doesn't open up? And so you do not have faith in the person packing your parachute, right? And so the what if question was answered strong enough that you're like, you know what, I will watch other people do it and appreciate their stories. I don't have to have one. Okay, the same is true. Some of you have ever, how many of you have ever swam with sharks? Anybody? A couple people? Yeah. And so you're in the little cage or whatever and you're thinking, hey, this is cool. Most of us have answered that question with, look, it's really good to have little toy sharks that you can wind up in the bathtub and play with. But to actually get the real ones that can eat you and make you think that you're tuna fish, we're beyond that. We're not going to do that. And so, again, we've answered that what-if question with all of the perceptions that we have. And, yes, it could be true, but in reality, it probably we're not going to plunk the ground. In reality, we're probably not going to get eaten like tuna fish. But we've answered the what-if question with something that stops us from doing that. Maybe even you remember those days where you saw a girl or you saw a boy and you're like, wow, God did a good job and you can feel Harry and Henrietta, the hormones, and you're excited and you think, hey, this is what God's planned for me. You know, you feel the hallelujah moment. It's like you see her or him walking down the hall and you're like, oh, and you're like, this is it, right? And then you go and you find out, you write the little note and you say, check yes or check no, and you get the note back. And Or even maybe, like if you have real what if questions, you put the maybe and it comes back with a no or a maybe and you're like, oh. What if? 
We talk ourselves into those kind of things. Telling your faith story to your coworker. And maybe God's told you that, hey, that person in the cubicle next to you or someone next to you, they need to hear your faith story. And you get the what ifs and you don't do it. Because what if they say no? What if they tell your boss and all this different stuff? So you've got this going on and the what ifs talk us out of doing the things that God wants us to be obedient in doing. Abraham was overwhelmed. His faith was overwhelmed by the what ifs. What if Pharaoh does this? The same is true for us. We talk ourselves out of being obedient with our what ifs and we don't do the things that God wants us. How, what if we talked ourselves into faith and obedience? On Sunday night, March 22nd, there was a U.S. air flight that was supposed to be taken off. And after about 30 minutes, they were, they were in line. And after about 30 minutes, they got clearance to finally go. And as it began to take off, the, the engines began to roar. You could feel the power, and they're running down the runway. And as they're about to take off, it kind of dips just a little bit to the right. And one of the, the, um, the landing gear clips clip some lights and they recorrect and they go up and as they're going then they clip some more and the next thing you know they end up in the river 27 people pass away but Bart Simon lives this is on a Sunday night March 22nd most of us with rational reasonings would say I am not getting on an airplane for at least a few days or a few weeks if ever We're not going to do it because we're going to rationalize and do all this. Bart Simon on Sunday night was in this plane crash. The next Monday morning, the very next day, March 23rd, Monday, he gets on a U.S. air flight. Same place. Everything's the same. It takes off to go home. He answered that what if question with how many times is this going to happen? The thing that many of us fear took place, and Bart Simon said, I'm going to answer the what-if question, and I'm going to just go do it again. The same is true for us. There's times where life, it's going to feel like that things have crashed and burned, and we can make all kinds of excuses. We can make all kinds of different stuff and answer the what-if questions and just say, you know what, I will never fly again. I'll stay home. I'll even change jobs. I will do something radically different. But we can answer it with talking ourselves into obedience is the opposite of that. I'm saying, listen, most of the time that's not going to happen. Most of the time that's an aberration. And that the very fact that I can get up the next day and get up on an airplane and go is my call to go. Where is it in your life that God's calling you to go and you've been answering the what-if question with disobedience by giving all the reasons to not do it because you're afraid that the plane will crash and burn and everything that you've planned has been gone Instead of talking yourself into obedience and saying, yeah, it can happen. It can happen. But I trust that God's going to take me. He's got a place for me. I'm not going to live in fear, and I'm going to live in obedience. We cannot live in fear because life doesn't go as planned. Because if not, we're going to be stuck at home watching Oprah and reruns of life gone past. So the story continues. Not only does he... In that midst, the Pharaoh finds out that Abram's wife, Sarah, is his wife and all those troubles that come on the Pharaoh's house. And so Pharaoh sends him away and sends him back on to Canaan. And they get back to Canaan. And in Genesis chapter 15, we see that in the midst of their story, that Abram hears again from God. The Yahweh covenant God shows up and speaks 
to Abram and says, hey, you are going to give some more specific details of his story. He says, hey, you're going to have a son, and you're going to have a son, and he kind of goes into more detail about it and talks about it. And so he gets this going on. Well, this is about 10 years, okay? We get in the picture in the story that there's about a 10-year period between Genesis chapter 12 and Genesis chapter 15 and 16. And so I don't know about you, but 10 years is a long time. Because think about this. He's 75 years old when he gets the call and he launches from the house. And so 10 years later, he's now how old? 85. You guys passed. So 85 years old. And most of us at 85 years of age are not thinking about, hey, I'm ready to have kids. Most of us are thinking about where are our kids thinking about putting us in the home? Right, And so he's got this going on, and so this trust factor is happening. And so in your life and in Abram's life, we get it to a place where sometimes when things don't go in the way that we want them and the time that we want them, we have a desire and we try to control it, and we do that by manipulating God's timing. We kind of make it on God's thing and try to put it on our time. We try to manipulate his time. In Genesis chapter 16, verses 1 and 2, we see Abram... His wife, Sarah, had not borne any children for him, but she owned an Egyptian slave named Hagar. Now, what was common in this day was that if you had some slaves and you weren't having children, then you would offer one of your female slaves to your husband so that he could have children, and you could have children together, and you would make those your children, and you would raise them as your own. And so it was culturally acceptable to do what Sarai was doing with Abram. Look, here's here's my slave Hagar. Y'all have a child together, and we will call it our own. And everyone, it was common. Everyone's doing it. Verse 2. Sarai said to Abram, since the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Now, whose fault is it? They don't have children. It's the Lord's fault. Now, the Lord's the one that gave the promise, but now because it's not happening in their timing, whose fault is it? It's God's timing, and we do that. God, you promised X, and it's not happening. And so here's Sarah and Abram. They have a promise from God. It's been promised twice. It's even getting more specific. They've been waiting 10 years, and they're thinking, the clock is not getting any slower. It's speeding up. And so, God, since you haven't done it on my time, then I'm going to help you. We would never do that. Credit cards, anybody? Ever bought something on a credit card that you thought, I really need this, or I want this, and so, or your kids need it, or... Everyone else's kids have it or everybody else needs it, and so I need X, and so I don't necessarily have the money in the bank or whatever, but I've got a credit card, and so I will manipulate it, and I will do it on my own time. We don't just do that with our finances. We do that with our relationships. We do it in different areas, and so we try to manipulate the time. You remember those old clocks that used to wind up, and you would kind of open up the little glass, and you would change the time and get it faster or slower or or whatever, try to trick your parents that you were home on time? And so you know then that you're, you're over 18, if you know what I'm talking about, okay? And so we do that. We try to manipulate the clock to fit our time. And we try to f- manipulate God's timing for get what we want. And so here Sarai is doing that. So she says, so Sarai, since the Lord has prevented me from bearing children, it's his fault. Go to my slave. Perhaps through her I can build a family. And Abram agreed to what Sarai said. And that's a whole different message on why he would agree. but So Sarah was doing something that was extremely common in the day, and we do that. They've been waiting 10 years, 75 to 85, and they're just saying, God, we're tired of waiting. But God, in his timing, is always impeccable. He's never early. He's never late. He's impeccably on time. 
He's always there exactly when he needs to be there to show you that it has nothing to do with you, but everything to do with him. And so Abram and Sarah have received a promise to have a child, and somewhere, somehow, people at 85 are still having children in their culture, and God says, listen, I want you to wait, because I need you to wait, to one, to show that you're faithful, but also not for you, but for everyone else to see this was not of Abram and Sarah, but was totally God doing what God does. That when he promises something, he will show up and do it exactly when he wants to do it, when he wants to do it, in the way that he wants to do it, not for our glory, but for his glory. And so when life does not go as planned, in those moments where we try to manipulate and make it all about us, we're stealing from God. And God is saying, listen, just wait. Wait. I have the perfect man. I have the perfect woman. I have the perfect house. I have the perfect car. It may not be exactly as you planned, but it's as I've planned. And you won't have all the stress. You won't have all the strife. You won't have all the conflict because all the different things, much of the stuff that we struggle with are things that we've invited in because we're in a rush to get them. Wait. Ten years has passed, 85. God is not doing what I want. You fill in the blank, okay? God is not doing what I want. You fill in the blank. Therefore, I will take control of that situation and do it on my own. That's how we try to manipulate time. There's actually a show called The Telephone Box. It's a BBC-produced show, and it is a part of our culture today. This is what you need to understand about our culture. This is a show. It's three episodes, and each episode is one minute. That's not a very long show. It has a beginning, it has a middle, and it has an end. Our culture is so distracted, but we so want entertainment that they are creating shows now that are three minutes long, and each segment is one minute. You get the entire story in three minutes. We are such a microwave, instant-wanted-now culture that this is an acceptable piece of entertainment because we've got to grab it. This is how we expect God to work in our lives sometimes is that we want a quick three-minute episode. We want a beginning and a middle and an end, and we want him to quickly give us what we want so we can move on to the next thing. And God is consistently saying to us, wait, wait, wait. Even maybe some of you as parents and grandparents that have said to your kids or young ones, the best things in life you have to wait for. Why? Because it's worth and value in that time and of waiting and of, and of the investment that it takes. God is rarely early, but he has impeccable timing, perfect timing. At 86 years of age, Abram and Hagar have Ishmael. So it's possible at 85, 86 years of age, it's possible to have children. Now, think with me for a moment. I've got a little movie screen going on in your head. You can see it. One of those old little screens, and it's got scratches all over the movie thing. And in the back, it's a little shaken, and it's saying 24 years later. Are you with me? So 24 years later, from the first time that he was called at 75, 24 years later, God again talks to Abram and Sarah. And what I want you to grasp in this third truth that I want you to grasp is that when life doesn't go as planned, we cannot not trust God. I know that's a double negative, and that's not good in English, but in Greek and Hebrew, it's perfectly okay because it's showing the exactness of the fact that you cannot not. 
It's an impossibility. As followers of Jesus, it is a not-not. We need to not-not follow and trust in God. And so here in the story of Abram and Sarah, Genesis chapter 18, verses 9 through 15, three men show up. And three men show up to the tent of Abram and Sarah. They've pitched their tent. They've been living there. And these three guys show up. And, and imagine, so Abram hears the knock on the tent door. And Abram comes to the tent flap. And he opens up the tent. And there's these three guys standing there. And Sarah's in the house doing the things that she's doing. And they receive these three men. Now, in their culture, it was great. Um, you were supposed to receive people. It was a great nobleness, a great honor, a great recognition to have people to host them. And so Abraham was doing what he was supposed to be doing, receiving these people. And so they're out on the outside of the tent, and they're talking. And um, I totally believe that it's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit that have shown up in physical form. Now, you can study that on your own, but this is my own little thought. And so that God shows up a physical form, and has a conversation with Abraham on the tent. And they're outside talking. And on the inside of the tent is Sarah. And she's listening in to this. And so here this person says, where's your wife, Sarah? They asked him. They're in the tent. She's in there. Then the Lord said, this is one of the reasons I believe it's God showing up. Then the Lord said to them, the guy that's talking, I will certainly come back to you in a year's time, and your wife, Sarah, will have a son. Now, how would someone just random guy show up and make this promise of, hey, I'm telling you in a year, your 99-year-old wife is going to have a son. Now, ladies, if you're 99 years old and you haven't had children, what's going to be your response? <laughs> right? I mean, you're going to be like, yeah, that, that is laughable, okay? And so we'll find out that's what she does. So now Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent behind them, and Abraham and Sarah were old and getting on in years I'm old and getting on in years here. Biblical is 99. And Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. So she laughed to herself, which we would say that's a normal response to something like that. We'd be like, that's ridiculous. That's ludicrous. At 99, I'm going to have children for the first time. So she laughed to herself. After I'm worn out and my Lord is old, will I have this delight? But the Lord spoke to Abraham. Why is Sarah laughing? Saying, can I really have a baby when I'm old? Look at verse 14. Is anything impossible for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will come back to you. And in about a year, she will have a son. And then Sarah, I imagine, because I just got this crazy mind, Sarah pokes her head out the tent and says, I didn't laugh. He says, yes, you did. Yes, you did. Is anything impossible for my Lord? So see, I think the whole thing about this is that when life doesn't go as planned, it's about us thinking we have a plan and we have control and we're trying to to provide trajectory to our life and we have a path for ourselves and it's this winding path and along the way we allow God to to, to jump into our story for a little bit and then we feel good about ourselves and our story and so we kind of meander and go our own way and then it kind of falls apart and so then we kind of move back to his path and let him get into our story for a little bit. We kind of move back and forth through this whole thing and then all of a sudden God is saying this whole time, just wait. I have a plan for you. I have a perfect purpose for you. And at at 99, you're going to have children. He couldn't tell them that, that, hey, at 99, you're going to have children because they're thinking, I can't wait 24 years. He just kept saying, wait and wait and wait because there is nothing impossible for the Lord to do. Why are you laughing? Is there anything too hard 
for the Lord to do. And this word Lord, again, is that covenant word of Yahweh and reminding them of the fact that the very one who gave them the promise in Genesis chapter 12 to call them out of the land of earth, to call them out of their polytheistic world into having a personal relationship with God was the same one, the same Yahweh, I am God, that was going to provide the specific son that he had promised 24 years ago before. When life doesn't go as planned, where do we run? What are the things of fear that we kind of pursue? What are the what ifs? And when do we begin to manipulate God's timing and try to make it in our own way when God the whole time is saying, just wait, continue on the path, continue. I've got a promise. I've got a plan. It's very specific. Quit running away from it. Be here with me, present with the covenant. God, I have something for you. And all the time we're just laughing. We're questioning whether God can do it. And God, in the perfect timing, at 100 years of age, when everyone else is not having children anymore, when everyone else would say it's impossible for 100-year-old people to have children, God provides a child for Abraham and Sarah and raise them up and say, listen, this is God's provision. The Yahweh covenant God has provided for us. We waited and we waited and we messed up along the way trying to manipulate it. But in God's perfect timing, he provided for us what he promised. And everyone else is saying, how did you get that? How did God show up there? And they say, because of our relationship with God, he promised and he provided exactly. And everyone else is looking, I want to know that God. I want to know that God. What is too hard for the Lord? In your walk and in your life, where have you been saying what if? In your walk and in your journey, where have you tried to manipulate the clock, manipulate different things, doing credit cards, doing relationships, doing all kinds of different stuff so that you can hurry along the timeline to get what you think is yours when you want it and how you want it, and then you got all the mess. See, Hagar and... Abraham had a child, Ishmael, and Ishmael has been creating havoc for generations. Even today, we struggle in the Middle East. I would tell you that one of the main reasons we still struggle in the Middle East is because of Ishmael and the children. Two children continue to fight for us in those moments when we try to hurry up God's timing and we talk ourselves out of obedience. It only causes us hurt. It only causes us harm. It causes us shame and regret to walk the journey in your marriage. Where is it too hard? With your husband, where is it too hard? With your wife, where is it too hard? With your children, where is it too difficult? With an ex-spouse, where is it too difficult? With your friends, where is it too difficult? In your work, where is it too difficult? All those different places where you've said what if and you've tried to manipulate, where is it that you can just wait and rest and be patient that God will do what he needs to do when he needs to do it exactly at his time, not for your glory or your convenience or your comfort, but for his glory and fame alone? Because I guarantee you that everyone around, as it trickled around, people were going, man, did you hear? Abraham, Abraham and Sarah at 100 had a baby. And they had this big shower and all this different stuff, and they were celebrating the baby. But more, more than that, they were celebrating what God did in their life and that he showed up with impeccably perfect timing to provide what he promised 24 years ago. 
that when most people at 75 have given up even the thought of having children, and then 24 years later, to do what everyone else said, there was no way that could happen. For us as people of faith, there's going to be some things that God's going to call us to do that we know that we know that we know in our knowers, in our soul, that God's asked us to do. And the first thing that we normally do because we're human is we rationalize away with fear and questions about being obedient to do it. And then whenever maybe we do it and then it doesn't happen in the time that we do it, we try to manipulate the timing because we want it to happen now. We're trying to rush it. And God's saying, listen, on the journey, just rest and wait. Enjoy the journey. Don't try to keep up with the Joneses. Don't worry about what everyone else is doing. You be faithful to what I've called you to be obedient to. Life is not going to go as planned. But as followers of Jesus, people are watching us. And at some point in God's perfect timing, you're going to give birth to a baby. And people are going to say, oh, my goodness. And we can say, it's not of us. It's totally of his. It's for his fame and his glory. Let's pray together. Father, you're still a God of miracles. And there's even pieces of this story of Abram, Abram and Abraham and Sarah and Sarai that, that it's just weird. But Father, you credited his faith to him as righteousness. And that, Father, that for us, that there are going to be moments of life where it does not go as planned. And we have to ask ourselves, what is our response going to be? Is it going to be one of faith and one of obedience or one of fear and of doubt and of manipulation? Father, may we be people that when life doesn't go as planned, that we'll book a ticket on Monday morning, the day after our plans crash on Sunday. Father, may we be the first ones to book a ticket because we know without a shadow of a doubt, as it tells us in Romans chapter 4, that we can be convinced that you are God and you can handle it. We trust in you. We believe in you. We have faith in you. Even when life doesn't go as planned.